0: Hey people, welcome to the Accidental Gods podcast, to the place where we believe that another world is still possible, and that together we can make it happen. I'm Amanda Scott, your host at this place on the web where art meets activism, politics meets philosophy, and science meets spirituality, all in the service of Conscious Evolution. And my guests this week are two pilgrims, amongst other things. Bamber Hawes is a local artist that I met when we both joined Extinction Rebellion back in the heady days of 2019. He's an astonishingly creative, inspired and inspiring individual who made a giant Trojan horse and brought it to London in 2019. And then a giant shark and took it to London in 2020, and sadly it wasn't used, as you will hear, because Covid. But now Bamber has made a giant 10-foot polar bear which he will be walking on pilgrimage to Glasgow, town of my birth, for the COP26 meeting that's happening at Sawain and for nine days after, at the end of this year. And for those of you who don't play in the Celtic calendar, that means it starts. On the 1st of November. So COP, Conference of All the Parties, twenty six it is the 26th of these meetings. And this is the one where the great and the good of the political class of the world get together and maybe this time they don't just make empty promises. Perhaps this time they will do something that they actually mean to keep. Because the Paris Climate Accord has done something It has created a baseline that people are beginning to hold their governments to. And perhaps because this COP is in this country, or perhaps because this year is the one that matters, I am becoming increasingly aware of all of the actions in all of the realities that are moving towards this COP to make it the one that makes a difference. And so I wanted to talk to some of the people involved. And on this podcast, along with Bamber, I'm talking to Benjamin Christie, who again I've known for a while as an astonishingly creative, deeply spiritual, highly practical, grounded, authentic individual. Ben is driven by the deeply held belief in the possibility of a more equitable, sustainable and harmonious world. When he's not supporting a pilgrimage to Glasgow, a different pilgrimage to Glasgow, he works to support NGOs and ethical businesses in developing and achieving their goals. His career spans events and media and business development, and he's a festival organiser. He works with the Wisdom Keepers. He's trained in some of the deepest, most connected of the traditional indigenous Spiritual practices that this world knows, and he brings them to the UK and he grounds them in everything that we do here. So, this has been an exploratory and transformational podcast for me, and I hope for you. People of the podcast, please welcome Bamber Hawes and Benjamin Christie. So, Benjamin Christie and Bamber Hawes, welcome to the Accidental Gods podcast. Thank you for turning out on this amazing and beautiful Monday morning. So, in the beginning, I want us to situate us all on the road to Glasgow. We have the COP26 coming. It is our last chance to make a difference. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a lot more depth during the podcast. So, Bamber, what brings you and Clarion onto the road to Glasgow?
1: Um, I made Clarion um, after I went to the XR event in London last year, and I came back. I'd made a big sculpture for that, which wasn't used because it was curtailed because of COVID. And I made this big bear because I wanted to. And then I had this thought, well, what am I going to do with it? I could carry it to Glasgow. So that's how it started, really.
0: So tell us a little bit more. I think I saw the sculpture that you took to London. Was it not a Trojan horse? Did I not see a Trojan horse or was that the year before?
1: I went up in 2019, after I'd, just after I joined XR, and I made a 13-foot-high Trojan horse out of willow withies, bamboo poles and tissue paper. And it had three giant love hearts inside it. And my initial idea was to get it to the gates of Downing Street for dawn one morning during the uprising. And that wasn't possible. And eventually it did another little adventure. And then I went up the following year, which was 2020. And I made a giant shark, which wasn't used. Darn.
0: So it was the Trojan horse that I saw. I am obviously losing track of time. So tell us a little bit, before we move to Ben, about the making of Clarion. You'd... you'd made a horse which was we'll try and get a picture of this and put it somewhere on the stream because it was absolutely stunning and then you've made a shark which I haven't seen and you can send us a picture of that and now we have Clarion who's just so majestic and beautiful and wonderful tell us a little
1: tiny bit about how physically logistically what he's made of um okay um well I've got a background in model making um set building and special effects and things so I can make most things um, I needed it to be very light, so he has plywood feet, a skeleton, some poles of bamboo, which are bolted together up inside him, and then uh, willow withies and four layers of heavy-duty tissue paper bound together with waterproof PVA. So he's very light, very strong, and waterproof, and white, and he does shine. If, if, and have you tested the waterproofness? Yes and also fireproofness, and if I put lights inside him, he glows in the dark, like a lantern in, in the dark. Magic. And
0: I believe we're going to have a picture of that, definitely, on the stream somewhere. So, Benjamin, what brings you on the road to Glasgow in this COP26 year?
2: I think, ultimately, a sense of responsibility. I think the fact of this, you know, biggest and most important conversation that humanity is having taking place on our land engenders in me that sense of responsibility now is the time to stand up to do what we can to contribute to this conversation because it's critical for all life on the planet and certainly in respect of future generations as a, as a parent I feel I won't be able yes. to look my son or his children in the eye and say that I didn't do something at this time.
0: How old is your son? He's seven. Okay.
2: Young one called Lucas.
0: Hi, Lucas. And old enough, I'm sure, to know what's going on and to know that, yeah, our generation has a responsibility. So let's take that a little deeper. We all, I think, anybody listening to this podcast has a sense that, that this year is a make or break year. Rupert Reid said it way back in January just half a year away, it feels like yesterday, Um, that this year defines this decade, this decade defines this century, and this century is the one in which, fundamentally, humanity will make the changes we need and become something that isn't wholly destructive, or at least largely destructive, or we won't. And so narrowing it down now to, to Glasgow, to COP26, what have you been doing, Benjamin, through this year, or since the understanding that we were basically aiming towards a particular dateline, to gather an understanding of what the land needs. Because it seems to me that you and Bamber both are immersed in a connectedness that goes beyond just connection to people. Does that make sense as a question?
2: Yeah, very much by way of some of my background. I think that uh, you know I, I help organise a festival that we established two years ago called Medicine Festival, looking at how you know what are the the causes of the separation or the malaise that we observe in society and in our relationship with the earth, and how can we collectively or individually arrive at their antidote? You know the the, the medicine that we we seek to arrive at a more harmonious and aligned ways of being individually, and as communities. And the preamble to that festival is, is, is first and foremost having experienced and been in and around festival culture and I suppose before that, rave culture for my entire adult life. And you know aware of the impact that's had on me in a transformational sense, a healing sense, and a celebratory sense and a a learning sense, a creative sense. And beyond that, experience and connection with different spiritual traditions around the world who, in some senses, having survived or remaining as vestiges of their original form, know how to navigate living on this planet and have done so in a fairly successful way for a larger course of history than is accounted for by our Western viewpoint. And so those experiences have, you know, at this stage of my life led me to, in, in the context of the COP, the power of connection to land. Again, in this in this larger sense, land as the earth, land as a spiritual being from whence we derive and understand our role and responsibilities as humans and in particular um an experience with a group that i've had the honor with my wife of convening over the years called the wisdom keepers which is a a platform for different indigenous and spiritual lineages to gather and and present and share some of the the technologies and the insights that they have for how they manage their, their own uh, journeys in life. And one of those gatherings, we were at, we were going to Glastonbury Festival in 2019, and were invited to a series of other events, which it slowly dawned on me, were along the course of the Michael and Mary line, which is a, a set of ley lines that run across the widest part of the country. And so in the course of realising that we've been invited to Royston, which is an ancient place of initiation uh, in Cambridgeshire, and then Avebury, and then Glastonbury, it dawned on me that those are all on this same line. So very accidentally realising that. And in you know, a gradually evolving awareness of some of the protocols and the practices that all of these traditions undertake, wanting to observe the protocols that are appropriate for hosting different traditions on different lands and asking for permission from local lawkeepers we did so and I originally envisaged going to the start and the end of the Michael and Mary line ones up in where it comes into this from the sea from Scandinavia um, in Norfolk in a place called Hopton-on sea and then all the way down across I think it's some 66 different, Churches now situated on the line, obviously uh, residual from previous sacred sites, all the way down to, to Cornwall, uh, a place called Carnal's Bowl, which is just beyond Michael Mount. And that experience of undertaking pilgrimage um, was very, very transformational in my own experience, my own understanding of, of why pilgrimage why do cultures across the world, throughout history, undertake that practice? And simply put, the the land or the, the particular confluence of these energy lines, these ley lines, call them what you will, gave us as a group very, very clear sets of symbols of experiences of insights that we all repeatedly shared an experience during the entire course of three four weeks while we were able to undertake this pilgrimage and that was very very transformational um, in terms of understanding a lot about how vital and how intelligent the land is and how communicative it is and so some of those archetypes and messages we Um, received during the course of that pilgrimage are very familiar to all of us certainly to you in terms of consistent experiences with with aspects of Arthurian law all the kind of traditions of our land specific to here continual kind of reference to masculine and feminine archetypes through different cultural filters but I'd say particularly in respect of the Arthur and Guinevere uh, mythos Um, dragons, eggs, virgin births, all of these repeatedly experienced by our group as we progressed along the line. And so in learning that the Glasgow COP was, sorry, the COP was going to be taking place in Glasgow on our land and looking more deeply into some of these ancient trackways, these pilgrimage routes, learning more and more about them in respect of our own uh, land, it transpires that there is another biggest possible uh, line on this land called the Spine of Albion, which runs all the way up from the Isle of Wight to the very top of Scotland. Hmm. And whether through coincidence or design, I'm not really here to speculate, they've run through some of the ancient capitals of the British Isles, and some of the major capitals of industry, manufacturing. So we've, you know, going up. We're talking about Winchester, and then Carlisle as ancient hmm. ceremonies of coronation or of, of power, and then Birmingham, uh, Manchester, and then you know on into the kind of cultural realm, Stratford, and eventually the line arrives um, running between Edinburgh and Glasgow. And so I've been working with a group of people who are looking to undertake a pilgrimage the length of that line, which is an epic quest, I think, in and of itself, commensurate with the task in front of us and the scale of dedication and ambition I think it's going to take for all of us to turn this ship around. The principles of sovereignty and power. The line is, as I've understood it from people who've written books on the topic and other people who had long experience with it, it explores the notions of power. And in many ways, Mm. that is one of the larger reflections of what the COP, the climate change conversations are about. Which use are we going to put our power to? What are those responsibilities? What do we expect of those who have power? How do they arrive at that power and yeah, ultimately, what are we going to do with the power that we have for, I don't want to say good or ill, for, for a more aligned relationship with each other and the earth or more of what we're perceiving in life today?
0: Fantastic. Thank you. So I want to come back directly to that question about how can we be good stewards of power and how can how can your pilgrimage help us to align with that? But before we do that, let's move on to Bamber. So, Bamber, Benjamin is planning a pilgrimage and you are planning a pilgrimage. Tell us your plans for your pilgrimage with Clarion and how far you've got and where you're planning to go and how fluid they are.
1: Okay. um, My plan is to walk the most direct route from Bishop's Castle in South Shropshire to Glasgow. Uh, so I've literally drawn a line on a map that goes up to Carlisle and then angles over towards Glasgow um, because I'm lazy and I want to do the shortest routes and I haven't got a lot of time. So I reckon that we can do 14 miles a day. I will do 22 days of walking at 14 miles a day, but I'm only asking other people to do one day. So it will start on day one with people from Bishop's Castle and the local area walking with me up towards Shrewsbury and then I stay the night there and I need to find somewhere for Clarion to stay the night. And then the next day I set off with a different group of people to walk up to Whitchurch and it goes on. So logistically, it's a bloody nightmare because I've got to arrange 22 groups of people, 22, you know, places for us to stay, um, and deal with, um, I was looking up local radio stations between here and Glasgow, and there's hundreds of them. Um, so, yes, lots to organise.
0: Okay. So, people are invited, anybody listening or their friends, family, colleagues, connections, to join you for one of those days. And presumably you start off relatively decent time in the morning, walk 14 miles, and then those the people who've walked with you can get public transport back to their starting point? I guess.
1: Yes, I'm imagining that they will have um, friends or relations who can collect, you know, half a dozen people or however many will fit in a car and take them back. All the people in the where they've got to will drive them home. Um, Okay. Yes, that needs to be sorted out.
0: All right. How many people can we fit in a minute?
1: I wanted to stress it's 14 miles a day, not 40. I don't want to frighten people initially by thinking they were going to be walking 40 miles. Right.
0: No, that's quite a long, that would be a long day. 14 miles is, is pretty doable. And I'm guessing you're not planning to go through bogs and over mountains. You're picking trackways
1: and lanes? I've made a route which goes along um, B roads, paths, bridle paths, tow paths, trying to keep away from traffic. The idea is that it's not a loud, shouty thing with a rabble of people with flags and megaphones. It's a quiet, meditative thing with people talking and moving through their local landscape, mm. um, discussing whatever, a bit like um, well, a pilgrimage rather than a march, definitely.
0: Brilliant. Not suggesting that there isn't room for the loud, shouty things once in a while, although by October, of course, they may be illegal. But in the meantime, yes, this uh, this feels like a much more spiritually aligned event than some of the XR events that you and I have both been on. They have always had their spiritual component. I I vividly remember the Quakers and the Buddhists in Trafalgar Square back in 2019, which does feel a long time ago. But this is, I am hearing from you, or I'm understanding, or think I'm understanding, that this is an event with a spiritual purpose. Would that be right? Yes,
1: um, I think so. Um, I was thinking yesterday, I went to the Ludlow Green Festival and I was trying to think, I was talking to some people about this, whether there is a slogan or a message or something, particularly if I'm going to be sending out press releases. And I haven't really worked that out yet. Perhaps if I can work it out during our talk now, today, um, whether there is some. Uh, demand that I'm making, like, don't you dare go home until he made some proper decisions, the politicians. Um, yes.
0: Okay. That's an interesting point I'd like to come on to, which is who are we speaking to with these two pilgrimages? But let's let's get to that later. Just before, I want to continue with the logistics of this. So if people are moved to join you somewhere on this, how can they contact you?
1: Clarion has a an Instagram account, which is Clarion underscore the underscore bear. So it's Clarion the bear. Um, and also has a Facebook account, which is Clarion the bear. I think it's all one word. Um, there's not much stuff on it at the moment, but there will be more stuff going on it. There will be um, the places and the routes that the bear will be taking and the dates so that people can link in and think, oh, well, I'm near Lancaster. It will be on such and such a day. And then I need to, I don't know, organize 22 different WhatsApp groups. I've no idea quite how to do this. I could do with someone to help me organize, do all that. Making the bear was the easy bit. That was just 80 hours of happily making stuff while listening to music The difficult bit is organising the people, which is what I've found before when I've done other big animals and festivals and things.
0: Okay, so message to listeners, if anybody wants to help Bamber with the tech, then contact you through Instagram or Facebook at the moment. I never do Instagram. I don't really understand how it works, but I'm assuming everyone who listens to the podcast is technologically literate, and they will be able to find you one way or another. If you can't find Bamber through either of those routes, and you really want to, then the email address for the podcast is manda with an M at accidentalgods.life. So just mail me on that and I will pass anything, put clarion or pilgrimage in the subject line and I'll pass it straight on to Bamber. All right, thank you. So let's move back to Benjamin. You too are organizing a pilgrimage. We'll look at the logistics of that later. So I want to explore a little bit more the principles of sovereignty and power. That runs through this line going from the Isle of Wight to Scotland. Because it seems to me that the crux of the problem of humanity at the moment is that we have grown our power enormously in the last few decades, really. This is, I am heavily influenced by Daniel Schmartenberger here. I suspect we'll be talking about this quite a lot on various podcasts, but for those who haven't, got up speed with that. His contention is that since the Second World War, when we created weapons that made winning a war no longer possible, because fundamentally we are now, if we spark any kind of big war, everybody loses. We've also grown all of our tech. We've grown our information technology, our digital technology, our biological technology, our chemical technology. The whole of our Technological world has grown in power such that we are now on the singularity of the exponential curve, the point where the curve goes vertical. And what we haven't grown is our capacity to be good stewards of power. We don't have to be brilliant stewards of power, but we have to be good enough stewards of power. And we're still locked in a political system that seems particularly in the UK, but essentially most of the nations around the world, to be locked in an 18th century, zero-sum, win you lose tribal, reductive, lowest common denominator mindset. I'd like to give a shout out to New Zealand, because recently their entire cabinet took a 20% pay cut, which is wonderful. And places like Taiwan and Estonia are using modern technology in truly creative ways to create genuinely at least on a nation-state, ways of collaborating and creating a new kind of democracy. We're working here, both Bamber and Benjamin, it seems to me, on a level where we're connecting with the land and asking of it, how can we be good enough stewards of power? And what I'm not clear on in this is where does the sovereignty come into it? What is it about sovereignty, which has become something of a buzzword in the last two or three years? How do we become good enough sovereigns of our power, or how do we have good enough sovereignty in and of ourselves? Can we explore that as a concept a little bit, Benjamin?
2: Thanks, Mando. I think going directly to this concept of sovereignty, I think there's, there's an important distinction that I've arrived at in my own explorations around this this topic, this theme, is that when we speak of sovereignty in contemporary political discourse, I think we're, what we're often, often talking about is about freedom, is about the ability to act as individuals or as communities free from the encumbrance, essentially, of capitalism, of economic necessity or whatever that, that construct is that we are all operating under the the confines of. And so I think that that is how people have come to understand the concept, the principle of sovereignty, and being able to arrive back at a degree of financial autonomy or financial sovereignty or political sovereignty is really what people are getting at. and, And that is completely valid in the cultural container we find ourselves in. But I think that sovereignty when you look at it from a, a historical filter can, and what's explored particularly in that in that kind of arthurian mythos that's kind of wedded wedded welded into our cultural framework in this land is actually the distinction that sovereignty there's a distinction between sovereignty with a small s and with a capital s and what those ancestral myths explore is sovereignty with a capital s as something that's indistinguishable from or synonymous with the goddess with the divine with the land as an expression of divinity and that's something that's difficult for us to access or or contemplate from our cultural viewpoint but if you look at many many other cultures that's that distinction has never been arrived at pachamama the earth as the goddess and if you think back to the, the gnostic traditions and and, and and mythos as well those pieces become synonymous and ultimately as i've sat with this over you know a good long while when we are trying to arrive at alignment and your, your original question of you know how do we manage this power That we have, there is a sense that we have forgotten during the course of our cultural journey that ultimately power, or in fact, all life, comes from the earth. Without her, we do not have oxygen, we do not have water, we certainly do not have food. And so, my appraisal or my kind of perspective is that. What's important or what would help us in our abilities to arrive back at some degree of harmony or alignment is is to be found in in what's still carried by a lot of these cultures and traditions that still work to propitiate their relationship with the earth and indeed derive guidance from it to understand what it is that we're here to do in respect of our own locality Mm and then on up to our own nation national areas i don't want to talk about political nationality but our own regions our own ecosystems and you know i appreciate that's a very alien concept to to explore from you know the kind of scientific materialist paradigm that somehow doesn't accord any intelligence or agency to earth and that's that's you know perceivable from our legal framework you know if, if, if you ever look at the filter of rights of nature as, as a set of principles that we might bring in back into the law into law land has no agency it is just a dead mm. resource to be exploited or owned it doesn't have any personhood which is an odd concept to even bring up and so My understanding of this of this pilgrimage, let's say, that goes to a place where the world is convened to explore and develop a sense of responsibility or an ability to kind of come into greater alignment with the natural world, is exploring this 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 principle of sovereignty with a capital S. How can we? arrive at a listening or a regard for the needs of the earth which is after all where we derive all power from where we derive our very lives from and i don't and i what i perceive in all of this kind of conversation is that we still have it an extraordinary way, way round where you know the environment is still some kind of obscure subset of how we appraise things and and I think that, you know, coming back to the principle of pilgrimage, in my experience and and what I've kind of studied and observed is that there is a huge amount of information that comes from the process of pilgrimage and learnings and messages that arrive in the consciousness of the pilgrim or the group of pilgrims. And so in the context of the pilgrimage, I'm helping to support. I I would hasten, I'm sorry, I would... Be quite guarded about suggesting that I'm organising the pilgrimage. I'm supporting a pilgrimage. Very importantly, a wonderful woman called Jolie Booth okay. um, is very capably uh, organising all the different aspects that Bam has spoken to. The logistics of you know how do you feed and house pilgrims on the course of it? How do you find the routes? How do you communicate to the different audiences? That is as an enormous endeavour that a whole group of people are undertaking. But in that understanding of pilgrimage being a mechanism to arrive at or understand messages from that pathway, that song line, that that route, um, the hope is to start to develop performances that reflect some of those learnings. So Jolie and quite a few of the group uh, of 30 pilgrims who are undertaking the entire route are all, very experienced fools, um, trained by a wonderful man called Jonathan Kay, who really is, in my experience, you know, very close to the the fool of the Shakespearean imagination, um, who is a wonderful mirror of you know the environment or the the perspectives, the the viewpoints of what's being expressed, and so that performance will. That's they're holding a space for the performance arriving during the course of the pilgrimage as the messages that they receive from people they encounter and the land start to, to, to repeat themselves. And a performance is what they're hoping to deliver. What we're hoping to deliver at the start of the COP. Um, I'm not quite sure we've got to, but certainly conversations with the COP organisers as to having this performance delivered as all the world leaders arrive in the opening weekend. And a step beyond that, um, during the course of the pilgrimage, also inviting people to participate in the creation, the co-creation of a charter, which will be delivered to the organisers of the COP uh, as a message, ostensibly coming from the people that are encountered during the course of the pilgrimage. But in that context of what I've been sharing in respect of sovereignty, I believe and understand that will be messages coming from the land itself. And I guess I just wanted to kind of close those thoughts with what's been really kind of, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to bring this to you, Manda and Bamba in this principle of a charter, a new covenant Mm. with the earth, a new set of agreements that we undertake to arrive at a, a more harmonious and aligned walk with the earth and 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 I guess I guess my question there is is around you know this the the famous charter of our land the Magna Carta you know and my my Latin's too rusty nowadays to 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 arrive at confidence in saying a friend came up with this the other day the Magna Carta Mundi I don't know if that's correctly declined Uh, but this sense of yes a recognition of our responsibilities, of our power such as they are through technology, in those different ways you, you expressed, but also an agreement that we arrive at ourselves, that we're, what we're willing to undertake to arrive back at a more harmonious, sustainable relationship with the Earth herself. What feels to me important is this is like a message stick. You know, Here's what we've heard. Here's what we've reflected. Here is the agreement as we see it. This charter, this covenant, is that something you're willing to to pick up and and take on, or d- are you hearing differently, or is it going to be something? That, but it, it starts to to roll on territory to territory as this conversation rolls on, and you know, essentially, and hopefully until we till we get it right.
0: Yes, so it's a essentially a crowdsourced covenant for the whole world in the end, but we're starting with it being crowdsourced from the pilgrimage and the root of the pilgrimage is that what i'm hearing is that right
2: very much so but then but but but, you know for for me and i you know again i'd I'd love to to unpack this a little bit that back to that distinction between sovereignty with a capital s and that consciousness or that possibility yes as in in distinction to sovereignty as it's often arrived at in in terms of you know emancipating ourselves or not continuing to perpetuate this power over paradigm that we're all very very aware of but one that may be you know certainly in the context of wisdom traditions or indigenous traditions that stretch back tens of thousands of years is a very contemporary one as a very kind of recent set of perspectives and a, and a political cultural financial framework that you know i hope and i'm sure many of us do as well is hopefully a flash in the pan and we'll arrive back at a more uh, sustainable aligned set of principles by which we can and this is a lovely distinction um understanding economy to meaning to actually at root meaning management of the home how do we manage our home you know (laughs)
0: Yes, when our home is the earth.
2: When our home is the earth. Yes,
0: that's Kate Rayworth's starting point. So I'd love to unpick this some more with Bamber in on the conversation, because this feels like it is it is going back to talk to the earth. It's also going back to the roots of what got us to where we are, because there was the Charter of the Forest in the UK, and then the Magna Carta. and And to an extent, we exported the principles of those to the lands we then colonized. And it was Churchill, I think, who said that democracy is the worst system ever invented for deciding how to do things, except for all the others. Um, and and it was fair enough at the time, and it was probably better than some of the others that were an option, but I'm sure we can do much, much better now. So I have a couple of questions for us. Um, just purely in logistical terms, are you talking to Client Earth and to the the lawyers who really get this? Because there seem to me quite a lot of legal minds now. We talk quite a lot to Matthew Rachman on this podcast who are legally trained and understand that side of the world and yet also really believe in sovereignty with a capital S. Is that input happening?
2: I am... Um... in in another with another hat on work in and around um supporting the journey towards rights of nature for water and so yeah that you know that comes from a, a legal perspective in in that in that kind of idiom as it were um in and amongst working with you know with kind of practical initiatives like river cleanups and So, you know, and and a kind of more traditional political lobby. But yeah, essentially, for me, the most important tenet of that long term is that we arrive at enshrining the rights of nature into our, you know, these are our de facto frameworks we have. That's how we navigate our relationships with the earth and with each other, these legal frameworks. And so how to integrate the rights of nature for, you know, Mm. the very... (laughs) fabric of our of our home seems to be a very very important um journey to take and and, you know there is a sense that that is making headway people are starting to appreciate you know we live in a a finite planet with finite resources and therefore there has to be some way of you know giving them some sort of agency in any of these conversations which seems entirely and somewhat accidentally absent so, you know, I'm sure you've explored that in the course of the, the podcast, the Wanganui and Lake Irie and even the River Froom, you know, efforts made there by the, the local council to actually take that first step within the, yeah. the context of our um, legal framework here in the UK.
0: Yes, and around the world. Mm-hmm. So, Bamber, bringing you into the conversation, in a sense, you began your pilgrimage with Clarion last year in London, and you began to build. 80 hours, I'm in awe. 80 hours building the gloriousness that he is. Have you, in the way that the Isle of Wight to Scotland pilgrimage has, do you have a sense of drawing stories with you? And if not, what is it that Clarion represents and what is it he carries and what is it that he brings from England to
1: Scotland on his route? First of all, Clarion is a polar bear, but I don't see him as a cuddly polar bear. He's a huge, majestic, angry, bemused, bewildered animal that if he was alive could run at 25 miles an hour and rip your head off. I think... I'm willing to start this and discover along the way. I don't want to nail it down too much at the beginning and prepare banners or something and print things out. I think it will evolve. I know it's scary doing it that way, but I think there is a purpose in a pilgrimage. Have either of you read the book by Satish Kumar about his pilgrimage from India to the four nuclear powers back in the early 60s when he was a young man. When he set off from India without money, two chaps who decided to walk to to Moscow and then on to Paris and London and then to Washington. And there was a certain sort of faith that they had to have that people would look after them along the way that they weren't going to take money even though people offered them money and they would discover a way as it happened. And I think to a certain extent I'm doing that, though I don't know if I have the nerve to do it without money. I will take some money, but I do expect that, I hope that people will look after me and feed me and give me somewhere to stay. I'm not going to have to stay in 22 um, five-star hotel. Airbnb <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) on the route. Alrighty,
0: so Shrewsbury and Whitchurch to begin with. We need to find people
1: there and then we'll have the rest of the route. Going back to something you mentioned earlier um, about ecocide, I heard a fantastic podcast from Sustainer Babble just the other day with Jojo Mahita, I think her name is, who is a lawyer um, bringing other people together to bring a bill or bring an action about ecocide as a thing and trying to define it. And um, I wonder if that's relevant to this.
0: Could well be. Yeah, I think there's quite a lot of activist lawyers. What would be interesting is to make sure we're not all reinventing the wheel and bring everybody together somehow. But it sounds like the group that Benjamin's supporting is... Is quite on the ball with that. If you're already talking to the organizers of COP26, then um, one hopes there's a convergence of, of ideas on that one. It seems to me that if I endeavor to extend a bit of compassion to our world leaders, particularly the leaders of this nation, which is hard, but I do it, part of the bind that they're in is something that Rob Hopkins identified, which is a terrifying absence of creativity. And that one of the several reasons we're locked into particularly the economic system that we are, from which we desire sovereignty, is that nobody has proposed an alternative and a route to get there that the politicians can see. And they only go as far as the light of the car takes them down the road. If they can't see beyond the end of the headlights, this is probably quite a bad metaphor, it'll fall over in a moment, then they're not gonna go there. Politicians are short-termist, it's the nature of the game. And so it seemed to me for a while that there are two questions that I'm about to ask you. One is, who are these pilgrimages aimed at? Do we genuinely believe that the politicians at COP26 are going to be moved by them? And if not, what is the energy that we're endeavoring to bring? What is the larger energetic space that we're trying to influence. Let's start with that. I've got a second secondary question coming from that, but let's start with that. Who is this aiming at? Are we actually aiming at Boris Johnson and the people around him, in the hope that they have the emotional and spiritual and intellectual capacity to hear this? Or is there a bigger energy or are the two confluent? Ben. You first, the
2: efforts that people at this time are undertaking, wherever they are in whatever capacity, is because they're recognizing that they are commensurate with the time. We have to act, we have to act, and so in whatever way people are called to act, it seems to me is appropriate. Obviously, respecting other people and not violently, but that is, those are the times we live in. Each and every act at this time counts to demonstrate how deeply people care and how real people perceive these problems to be. This is not something that we are going to push down the road and we'll deal with it after we next get elected or we'll deal with it after we get our new car or, you know, this is a a now piece. And so I think there's a validity to that expression, yeah. which isn't necessarily directly arriving at explicit policies we want leaders to implement. Those there are mechanisms to arrive at that, um, but yes, particular to this action, I believe that there's there's a, a, a missing there's a disconnect here between land. And us, or a mis- as I kind of referred to earlier on, this misappraisal of, you know, this exploration of power presumes that we're the ones with all the power and what we say goes or, you know, that's how it's going to be. And very clearly when we're dealing with a being or an entity or, you know, a lump of rock fly- flying through space of that scale, if its systems are destabilized by our inputs, then we have got nothing We are able to do that's going to stop those feedback loops being, you know, vastly impactful on not just us, but every other species on the planet. So I think that there is, you know, I was listening to um, the Schmachtenberger podcast. recently and uh, you know for me what i what i feel is missing if there's any kind of message that i've got or any kind of insight i've gleaned from connecting with these ancestral traditions and some of those initiations and practices that enable a more direct and real relationship mm. with the earth and and what i mean by real i don't want to be kind of glib about it but there is agency to be arrived at from these practices these you know these cultures haven't been you know in some kind of cul-de-sac blindly flailing around there's clear evidence from the historical historical record from archaeology that those cultures and some of the ones that still survive were completely aware of multi-generational ecosystem management and the ability to maintain their relationship and the stability of their local environment and their populations like this isn't Mm. there's this kind of sense that we are somehow on the cutting edge of history and all of these realizations and these technologies are ones that only we have ever had that somehow homo sapiens sapiens has not had the ability to articulate and be aware of some of these concepts and and ideas and yeah i think that at the very least you know i appreciate that the notion that there is agency to the earth is alien to our our worldview our collective scientifically materialistically um, derived worldview but even the the concept that there might be agency or we might have a rearticulation of our relationship as land and earth is primary and thereafter we derive our own agency and validity and you know and right to exist i think that's a fundamentally important shift that we need to arrive at and, you know and when one gets apocalyptic about what might be coming down the line i feel like you know very substantial disasters might well help our civilizations reappraise how you know the order of power actually is and 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 maybe that might shift you know, I don't want to get all biblical about it in that in that kind of sense of bring the the fire and brimstone, but we'll can imagine that shocking our kind of cultural framework quite substantially such that we think, wow, we better really take care of the life support systems, otherwise there ain't gonna be no life.
0: You'd like to think, I suspect. I, I would like to believe you're right. Basic human psychology suggests that when we get under threat we we double down and try and do more of what we were doing already. I'm not certain. There is a heat dome as we speak over northwest North America, and the denialists have gone into overdrive. It's very interesting to watch if you watch certain aspects of social media, which which I probably do to excess. But yes, I think so. Definitely, it's not only into this podcast the concept that the Earth has agency and that we can connect to it as we're heading towards the end, I'm going to come back to Bamber in a moment, but Benjamin, I want to stay with you for a moment. Is there anything that you can share with people listening who want to connect to the earth, who are perhaps in the early steps of doing that, a personal practice that you have that works for you, that is shareable, and that people could begin to explore?
2: Very much so. I, I, I think, you know, back to this point of just just a a conceptual notion that in fact the earth is vastly intelligent you know we talk about the intelligence of nature really sitting with that notion and just marveling at it and taking that on into yes i think very very simple practices observing a, a, a general principle of give first and then receive so if you find yourself in a in a place where you feel like you'd like to connect with the earth or maybe get a message or get some guidance or just connect in and of itself a first principle might be to make an offering of anything you feel is appropriate can be you know often if I find myself without something on me I actually use a hair just pull a hair out and give that to the earth and then listen and then listen take a, you know, a few moments to see if something arrives you know in some way whether it's a thought or a sound or something that you suddenly see or or just feel and I guess the other you know very simple principle is that if at first you don't succeed try 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 again because there are you know there's such precedent for practices like that in different in so many different colorful ways but actually taking you know having that trust to keep trying a few times, and I just—I guess all I can do is—is—is is, is really hold or reassure people that, you, that that's it. Something is going to arise, and that you know, it's it's like a muscle. You just practice, 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 and sooner or later, right? You know, my understanding, my experience is finding that you do get you know quite quite crisp, clear, very intelligent communication it's not the kind of wispy mist and you know it's 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 a very immediate and intelligent communication and it's you know, in and it's a very profound experience to have coming out of you know a cultural container which doesn't necessarily posit that that exists or that's possible
0: brilliant and what we're finding in the shamanic worlds is that the amount of help seems to be ramping up Are you finding that also?
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the gifts in in, in terms of my um, particular uh, role in this um, group that's come together around this this Spine of Albion pilgrimage, which you'll you'll find on, I haven't mentioned the website, it's called Listening to the Land, is supporting ceremonies along the course of the line. And one of the kind of wonderful, you know, that's something I'm, much called to and really enjoy reaching out and connecting to people who are dowsers or work with land energies or you know there's different filters and descriptions that people give themselves around why they might do this but the fact is that they're called to do it in one way or another and in the course of meeting quite a few groups across the country who do this work and they spend their time doing so is a very palpable sense of yes of the land being on the move of you know these other realms these other beings recognizing that this is the time and you know that's spoken of in prophecy that's spoken of in some of the the myths that you find around the world that you know there is talk of uh there being this great turning this great this great moment of of reflection or a you know a, a shift in perception a shift in kind of appraisal and understanding of how we are as a species and how we relate to each other in the world.
0: Beautiful. Thank you. So, Bamber, in closing, we'll come to the actual logistics of what date and time Clarion's leaving, but is there anything from your own spiritual practice that you could share with listeners that helps you to connect with the land
1: and the times that we're in? Since January this year, I have been in training for this um, pilgrimage because i am Got to be fit enough to do 22 days at 14 miles a day, 306 miles I've worked out from Ordnance Survey maps. So every week I go for a walk in the area. I walk from home to somewhere and back again, about 18 to 20 miles. And it's fantastic because I'm very fortunate to live in South Shropshire where we've got the long Mind and we've got beautiful hills and places to walk. So It's just me walking for six hours up and down hills, getting lost. And it's been a fantastic practice in itself. And I try and shut down the bubble in my head and do my zikr. I'm a Sufi and just be there and walk and feel the... Age of the landscape that we were. This area was once under the sea. There was there's a mammoth um, bone or skeletons in a nearby town from here. Just feel that we're only just a pinprick. We're nothing at all, and we'll be gone, and the Earth will eventually die, and over millions of years, hopefully, not in a few years. And that's fine. Okay, thank you. So if people
0: come and join you, they
1: can share in that
0: along the way. So when is Clarion setting off? What's your starting date?
1: Well, one thing I need to decide, and perhaps you can help, is do I get there for the first day of COP when there's going to be millions of other people doing crazy things? Mm. Or do I turn up halfway through? It's nine days long, this event. Mm. Or do I turn up at the end? And what happens when I do turn up? Do I set fire to Clarion or no? whatever? I don't know. So what do you think? Um, when are you planning to get there, Benjamin? On the first day? Which is when?
2: Yeah, I've just um, seen the schedule for the COP and, and the moment at which all the world leaders are there is that first weekend oh is it so they c- that is the very first weekend as it so happens sawane last weekend of October
0: so thank you to Bamber and Benjamin and if it's possible I would really like to talk to both of you either when you're at COP or in the aftermath and find out what your experiences were talking with the land on your pilgrimages as much as anything else, but also just to gather where all this has taken us so that we can look back and see our own tipping points along the way. So thank you so much for coming on to the Accidental Gods podcast. And that's it for another week, although we will be following the progress of Clarion and the Spine of Albion pilgrimages as we go through. I will connect to them on social media, Put up what I can on Facebook and on Twitter. And we'll put the links to everything in the show notes. So if you're inspired to help with Clarion or with the Spine of Albion or to make your own pilgrimage, whatever you need to do to make a difference, because this is the year when everything changes. And each of us has a role to play. Each of us can do something to move towards the tipping point that means that the whole of humanity is working to find a creative, inspiring, flourishing, beautiful way forward to the new world that our hearts know is possible. We can do this, people, but it does take all of us now. There is no going back to the old ways. Business as usual is no longer usual. Everything and everybody can make a difference. So think what you can do. Connect to the earth. Go out, make an offering, listen, keep doing it. Because Benjamin's right. We live in a world where we expect to press a button and see a result. But the earth doesn't work like that. We need to open the connections and build a relationship. And if you're interested in doing that more deeply, then the membership is open on accidentalgods.life and that's exactly what we're doing, is trying to give ordinary people a step-by-step day-by-day route to build the connections with the living earth that can bring us to the answers of who we are and how we need to be to find the good enough ways to be stewards of the power that we now have. So that website again, accidentalgods.life. And we will be back next week with another conversation. In the meantime, thanks to Cara C for the music at the head and foot, for the production and the sound engineering. Thanks to Faith Tilleray for the website and the tech. And thanks to you for listening. And if you know of anybody else who wants to be part of the generative dance of the world, then please do send them this link. And that's it for now. See you next week. Thank you and goodbye.